If you really want to know something, honestly, ask children. Children tell it like it is. And a group of elementary school kids were asked the question, what is love? And here are some of their answers to that question. Glenn, age seven, answers, if falling in love is anything like learning how to spell, I don't want to do it. It takes too long. John, age nine, said, love is like an avalanche where you have to run for your life. May, age nine, said, no one is sure why it happens, but I heard it has something to do with how you smell. That's why perfume and deodorant are so popular. Ava, age eight, says, when you fall in love, one of you should know how to write a check. Because even if you have tons of love, there's still going to be a lot of bills. Do I have an amen in the house on that? Now, this one scares me. Angie, age 10, she's just got some issues. She says, most men are brainless. So you might have to try more than once to find a live one. I don't know what's happened to her, but she's got some issues. Dave, age 8, says, love will find you even if you're trying to hide from it. I've been trying to hide from it since I was five, but the girls keep finding me. (laughs) Here's my favorite. Regina, age 10, says, I'm not rushing into love. I'm finding fourth grade hard enough. (laughs) What is love? We've been talking about that at this campus and the Marietta campus for the past several weeks, and we've been basically looking at what we often refer to as the love chapter. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where the Apostle Paul describes what real love is. And it's really the love that everybody is looking for. It's the love everybody needs. It's the love everybody wants. It's the love that makes us truly, completely, fully human. It's the love that God loves us with, and we're designed to love one another with. And in 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 4, let's just look at some of the components of love that Paul talks about. We're not going to read through the whole love chapter, but just these particular verses. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 and 5. Can we read that out, out loud together with me, please? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. And that's where we're going to focus this morning. Keeping no record of wrongs. Love doesn't keep score. Love doesn't have some mental or emotional filing cabinet or internet cloud that stores all of the wrongs and wounds that have been done to it. Love forgives. And perhaps the greatest act of godly love that anybody can ever demonstrate is to forgive. Because forgiveness at the bottom line is this. Forgiveness is me paying the price for what you have done to me, the wrong you have done, by not judging you with payback or revenge, but instead giving you what you don't deserve. And that is to be freed and released from the wrong that you've done. See, that's, that's godly love. I mean, it almost sounds humanly impossible because it's not of human nature to forgive. But this is what God has done for us in the life, death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God took all the judgment and wrath that we deserve because of our sin and paid the price himself and took it upon himself on the cross of Christ and gave us in return what we didn't deserve and that's Freedom from that sin and eternal love relationship with him. And I believe the only real way to sincerely 
completely, totally forgive somebody is by the power of the forgiveness of God working in and through us. Now, to really look at this idea of keeping no records of wrong and, and forgiving one another, we need to take a look at the Joseph story. Now, if anybody had a record of wrongs to keep, it was Joseph. Now, the Joseph story is told in Genesis chapter 37 through chapter 50. It's got 13 chapters devoted to it. But I've got to recap this story very quickly with you so that we can see this idea of forgiveness. So I want you to hang with me a moment because we're going to fly through 13 chapters of the book of Genesis. You ready? All right, here we go. Joseph was one of 12 sons of Jacob. Now, Jacob is the grandson of Abraham, which makes Joseph and his brothers the great-grandsons of Abraham. Now, Jacob loved Joseph more than he did his other sons. And Jacob made that known to his other sons, and it made his other sons angry and jealous of Joseph. Now, Joseph has a dream. And in this dream, he sees that later in his adult life, his, all his brothers and his mother and father are going to bow down and serve him at some point in time. Now, being the 17-year-old that he was when he received this dream, he goes the next day and he kind of flaunts this to his brothers and his mom and dad, and his brothers become livid, and they can't wait to somehow do him in. They get him alone in a field, and they see this caravan of Ishmaelites headed down to Egypt, so they sell Joseph in slavery to them, take Joseph's coat, dip it in animal blood, take it back to their father Jacob, and they say, your son Joseph has been killed, by a wild animal, and he's headed into slavery to Egypt. Wrong number one that Joseph had to deal with was family hurt. Now, I know there's not anybody in here that's had a family member hurt them. I understand that. I know there's nobody in here that's ever had a family member turn on them or somehow reject them. I understand, but just imagine with me a moment what that might feel like. Wrong number one, family hurt. He's on his way to slavery into Egypt. He's in Egypt. Potiphar, who is the captain of the Egyptian guard, takes Joseph into his home as a slave in his household. Well, Joseph blows him away with his leadership skills, so Potiphar puts him in charge of an entire household. Potiphar is away on military business, and Potiphar's wife thinks Joseph is beautiful. So he, she tries to seduce him to sleep with her, but he won't do it. He withstands her, rejects her, and she feels the anger of that jilting. And when Potiphar gets home, she tells his, her husband that Joseph tried to have his way with her. Potiphar believes her, throws Joseph into prison. Wrong number two, workplace hurt. I know no one in here has ever been hurt on your job. I know no one in here has ever been misunderstood, misrepresented, falsely accused, or anything on your job. I know you get along with your employees and your employer and all of your co-workers fine, but just imagine with me a moment what it might be like to be hurt by somebody in your workplace. Now he's in prison. Boy, he blows the warden away with his leadership skills. Puts him in charge of an entire cell block. Now, while he's there in prison, the cupbearer and the baker to Pharaoh, who is the emperor, the king, the ruler of all of Egypt, they offend Pharaoh somehow. He throws them in prison where Joseph is. They become friends. Now, the cupbearer and the baker have a dream. Joseph is able to interpret the dream with the help of God. And this was the dream. In three days... The baker is going to be executed by Pharaoh. And in three days, the cupbearer is going to be restored back to his position with Pharaoh. So Joseph says to the cupbearer, look, when you're restored back to your position, remember me to Pharaoh 
Tell him that I've been falsely accused. Tell him that I'm in prison and I've done nothing wrong. Get me out of here. The cupbearer promises, I will. Three days go by. The baker is hanged, executed by Pharaoh. The cupbearer is put back into his position with Pharaoh and totally forgets Joseph. Doesn't say a word to Pharaoh about him. Breaks his promise. And for two additional years, Joseph is in prison. The third wrong, friendship hurt. I know nobody in here has ever been let down by a friend. I know nobody in here has ever been rejected by a close friend. Had your friend say one thing, do another. Say they were going to be there for you, and they let you down in your greatest moment. Obviously, we all know family hurt. We all know workplace hurt. And we all know friendship hurt. Every one of us. And that's the record that Joseph has. Well, Pharaoh has a dream. None of his magicians can interpret the dream. The cupbearer remembers, oh man, there's this dude in prison that knows how to interpret dreams. You want me to get him? Yes. He gets Joseph, brings him to Pharaoh, and here's the dream. The dream was that there's going to be seven years of plenty in Egypt, followed by seven years of famine, and they are to get their act together to prepare for that seven years of famine so they have enough food. Joseph has the plan, gives it to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's blown away, puts Joseph in charge of all of Egypt, second in command only to him, and basically says nothing happens in Egypt without Joseph's approval. Man, what a roller coaster ride this guy goes on. Well, the seven years of plenty come and go. They're two years into the famine. They have enough food there in Egypt because of Joseph's plan. But that famine hit the entire Middle East, which means it hit up into Canaan, which was Israel. It's called Canaan at that time. That's where Joseph's family is living. They're running out of food. They hear there's food in Egypt. So the brothers, except for the youngest one, come down to Egypt to get food and they encounter Joseph. 22 years since they sold him into slavery. Joseph recognizes them. They don't recognize him. Now, Joseph toys around with them a little bit. He says, look, I want, my young, I want the youngest one to come. He doesn't tell them who he is. He says, are there any more of you? They say, yeah, there's a younger one. He says, well, bring that one. So he holds one of the brothers in prison. Doesn't beat him or anything. Just holds him as collateral. And then sends them to get their younger brother. They have to go get the younger brother. Come back. They come back. Joseph gives them food, but he puts a piece of silver in the youngest one's bag to make it look like they stole it. So as they start back home, he sends a bunch of people to get them, to bring them back. And they come together, and Joseph finally reveals who he is. And in Genesis chapter 45, here's the reunion moment. 22 years it's been. Verse 1 of 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptian heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. The emotion was so great. All the pain, all the stuff for 22 years. Man, he weeps so loudly. Verse 30, verse 3, excuse me. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land and for the next five years there'll be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth 
and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Now I want to borrow a couple of verses out of chapter 50, where the brothers come back to Joseph because they're still afraid that Joseph is going to turn on them, and they come back to him, and in verse 20 he says this, in the second encounter, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. This amazing encounter and exchange of forgiveness with all the stuff piled on Joseph, what they did to him, what Potiphar's wife did to him, what the cupbearer did to him. And here he is. All this pain he's had to deal with has this amazing exchange of forgiveness. What can we draw from this in terms of forgiveness? Three quick things I want to share with you. First of all, I would share with you that forgiveness is often a process. It's often a process. Now, we can sometimes forgive immediately, but really it all depends on the person and the hurt that is being done. But oftentimes, Forgiveness is a process. Joseph had to go through a process. Joseph had to come to a place of really making a decision of forgiveness. And I believe all the things he does with his brothers when he finally encounters them and they don't recognize him, he sees them and the the things he kind of puts them through, maybe that was a little bit of payback. Yeah, maybe. But I believe all that time he's having to make a decision. What am I going to do with these guys? Because he could have destroyed them. He could have obliterated them with the power that he had as second in command. But he doesn't. He made a decision. And I may believe he made a decision long ago. That if I ever see them. I'm going to forgive them. See. Forgiveness begins with a decision. Forgiveness is not based on feeling. It's based on a decision. I can't wait till I feel like forgiving. Or that I get all my emotions just right. I got to get over the hurt. I got to get over the pain. I got to get all this stuff together. Then I'll be able to forgive. No, I got to make the decision to forgive. Regardless of how I'm feeling. Because when I make that decision. I'm going to move towards forgiveness. The emotions will begin to line up. See, if you and I waited till we feel like doing certain things. A lot of things would never get done in our lives. I mean, who in here feels like going to work every day? We don't, but we do. Who feels like going to the dentist? Who feels like going to the doctor? Who likes to be pinched and poked and probed and stuck? Nobody. But we decide to do it anyway. Why? Because it's the healthy, right thing to do. It's best for everyone concerned. Some folks, I think, struggle sometimes and say, well, I, 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 I can't forgive them because I'm so hurt. I can't forgive them because I'm dealing with this. And I would suggest to you, forgiveness isn't when I'm able to get it all together. Forgiveness begins when I decide I'm going to forgive this person. And I begin to align myself with how God wants me to deal with them. And the emotions will begin to follow suit. It begins with a decision. It's an act of will. It's a process. But a second thing of forgiveness I would offer to you is this, that forgiveness releases control. It releases my control over the person who has wronged me, but even more so, forgiveness releases their control over me. 
See, here's the trap of unforgiveness. I think sometimes what we tend to do is, is we say, okay, this person has done this to me. I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to hold on to it because that gives me something over them. I'm going to hold on to it because that gives me a sense of supremacy. I'm going to hold that on to them because I can, I can use this as leverage. Not to mention, I'm going to hold on to this because now I have an excuse for acting certain ways. And I have an excuse for having certain attitudes. And what I think is, I think by holding on to unforgiveness, I'm actually controlling them. But here's the trap. The trap is that that's not really the case. The, the, the trap is that they're controlling me. That the hurt and the pain and the, and the anguish of what's been done to me by me continuing to hold on to the unforgiveness puts me in bondage and in prison to the hurt and the wound. I can't ever get really healed of the wound and the hurt until I let go of it. See, Joseph, he had the control and the power. He could have tortured those guys. He could have done all kinds of stuff to get even and pay back. He had the power to do it. But he didn't. Because he knew to hold on to it in that way was ultimately going to destroy him. You see, unforgiveness becomes bitterness and it becomes resentment. And man, when that happens, that begins to start eating my life alive. It will start eroding every one of my relationships. It will erode my attitude. It will erode me mentally. It will erode me spiritually. There's an author. Uh, he's a radio personality out of Ireland. His name is uh, Malachi McCourt. He said this. This quote just captured me. He said, resentment is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. That's unforgiveness. Well, I'm holding on to it thinking, I got him. I got him. It's destroying me. And you know what? They may not be even giving me a second thought. And they are really the ones controlling my life. And when I forgive, man, it releases that control, positions me in a place where I can truly begin to get the healing. And when I say when I forgive. I'm talking about making that decision. Moving towards forgiveness. As I make that decision. Man that begins to open me up. To get the healing and the freedom. From what's happened to me. Which brings to the final thing I would share. About forgiveness. Forgiveness. When we look at Joseph's story. Forgiveness looks to God. Not the hurt. See it looks to God. Not the hurt. See, God is the one that ultimately is going to empower me to be able to forgive. And man, the only way that can begin to happen is when I give him the control, when I make the decision because I want to be obedient to him, I'm going to move towards forgiveness. Because only by the power of God can I get healed by him, by that forgiveness, by him, and can I really release the other person. I mean, Joseph's response or his explanation to his brothers is amazing he says to them you guys think you sent me here god's the one that brought me here god's plan was to bring me here god is the one orchestrating this god positioned me here to save lives to save the lives of the egyptians and to save your lives to protect the remnant of god from whom the messiah would come this is god's plan 
at work. He said, you guys, you did it for evil. You wanted to harm me. It was your intention to do me in. But guess what I've discovered from God? God used all of that to bring me to this place to serve the greater purpose and his greatest glory. See, if all Joseph did was focus on the hurt and what these guys and Potiphar's wife and the cupbearer, this is what they've done to me. This is what's happened. Man, they, he would miss everything that God was doing, not just in his life, but through his life into the lives of other people. See, it's an amazing thing about the sovereignty of God. I don't believe God made his brothers turn on him. I don't believe God made Potiphar's wife turn on him. I don't believe he made the cupbearer forget about Joseph. God has given us free will, but the sovereignty of God is an amazing thing that in the midst of the wickedness of the evil of people, God is still able to work out his greater, glorious, redemptive plan in our lives and in this earth. Man, that's the beautiful glory. That's what, that's what the ability... Well, go ahead and praise Him if you want to praise Him. Go ahead. Because, man, that's what Joseph had to get to. Man, i got to see where God is in this. Now, understand something. This is so crucial, so important. I didn't say that forgiveness overlooks the hurt and looks to God. Doesn't look at it. Focus on it. In other words, it doesn't become my God. He, he becomes my God. Forgiveness acknowledges the hurt. Forgiveness confronts the hurt. If there's no hurt to acknowledge, there's nothing to forgive. Hello? Forgiveness implies there's a hurt. So if I'm truly going to forgive, i got to acknowledge the hurt has been done. And Joseph did. He looked right at his brothers. You did this to me. You tried to harm me. You tried to do it for evil. You came against me and tried to do it. He confronted the evil. He confronted the wrong. The deal was, though, he didn't use that to get even, to pay back. He acknowledged what they did, but then gave them the forgiveness. There's discipline with forgiveness. There's, there, is, there is consequences to wrong. How many of you have children? Yeah. How many of us correct our children? Do we not? I hope you do. God help Blake if he's over there and you don't correct your children. Blake is our children's pastor in case you didn't know that. But we forgive them, do we not? Even when we have disciplined for the wrong, we have forgiven them. Am, am I connecting with anybody right now? Is this making sense? And there's reconciliation that happens with that. The whole purpose of disciplining with forgiveness is that I'm doing it to better the relationship. I'm doing it to bring reconciliation into our relationship. I'm doing it to better each other. It's like the story I heard of the, the woman who, who bought a pet parrot and the parrot was just the most obnoxious, rude, crude parrot she'd ever seen. Would call her name, say she was ugly, say she was fat. And when he would pick her up to try to, she would pick him up to try to pet him, he would peck her. Finally, one of his tirades, and he, she's pecking his hand, she, she was going to discipline him, open the freezer door, and stuck him in the freezer and close the door. 
And she could hear him on the other side, man, just letting her have it, calling her every name in the book. And then finally, he just went silent. Nothing. Boom. And she's thinking, oh my gosh, I've killed it. She opened the door and there he stood. He was alive and he was shaken. She grabbed him. He looked at her and said, ma'am, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I will never insult you again. I was wrong. I was rude. You will get nothing but my utmost respect. You will get nothing but cooperation from me. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. She said, well, I accept your apology. Thank you. He said, I have one question, though. She said, what's that? He turned and looked at the freezer. He said, what did the chicken do? (laughs) Discipline helps. So we don't get the idea that forgiveness is just glossing over. When Joseph encountered his brothers and presented himself to his brothers, what did it say? He wept so loudly about all of Egypt could hear him. The whole palace could hear him. That's not glossing over an issue, folks. But I don't come with annihilation and payback and punishment And revenge in mind. I come with the full focus of reconciliation. Now. Let me continue down this road a minute. Sometimes. People aren't going to receive. Our asking them to forgive us. Sometimes. They may not repent. Sometimes. They're going to continue. Wrong abusive type behavior towards us. And in those times when someone is not going to own their wrong, they're not going to repent, they're not going to change towards us. We still grant the forgiveness, but we don't have to stay in relationship with them. If Joseph's brothers would have continued to plot against him, if they would have continued to try to do harm to him, if they would have continued to try to get him, most likely he would have kicked them out of Egypt. He would have had nothing to do with them anymore after granting them this forgiveness. Some people are going to be that way. And we don't have to stay in abusive relationships if they're going to continue in that way. And we certainly don't want to stay there if other people are going to be in harm's way. We have an attitude of forgiveness towards them. But if they're not going to change and they're going to continue to try to be harmful, we do not need or have to stay in relationship with them. Does that make sense what I'm saying to you? We are not to be welcome mats and there for somebody else to beat our brains in. If they're not going to change, get out of it. But still look at them with an attitude of forgiveness. And really, the only way I can forgive is I got to know how much he has forgiven me. I think one of the reasons we have a tendency not to be able to forgive is because we really don't understand how we have been forgiven by God. There are some folks that believe we deserve His forgiveness. Some folks, yeah, I've done some bad stuff, but you know, I've done a lot of good stuff that kind of balances that out, so God should forgive me. No, no. We don't come anywhere close. We don't come anywhere close to God's standard. Some of us think, well, God has to forgive me. He's God. That's what God does. No, God doesn't have to forgive us. He has chosen to. 
And he's not going to forgive everybody because he has offered his forgiveness already. His, his payment of forgiveness has been done. He offers it to the entire world and it's up to us. We're either going to receive it or we're going to reject it. If we reject his forgiveness, he's not going to forgive. It's not going to happen. No, I got to understand. I don't deserve anything from him. But his judgment He's withheld that and given me life, given me new life, a second chance. Man, the more I can understand that, the more I can turn and look at the person or the people that have hurt me with the decision to forgive and with the help of God to make that happen. Her name is Victoria Rivolo. She wrote the book, No Room for Vengeance. She lives in New York City. And the, the book, No Room for Vengeance, is her forgiveness story. Because she was headed home from Manhattan to Long Island. It was November of 2004, very cold night. She had just seen the recital, her, her, her niece's uh, music recital. She was going home for a relaxing evening. She doesn't even remember the Nissan coming towards her. She doesn't remember the 18-year-old kid hanging out of the window, holding, of all things, a 20-pound frozen turkey. As they passed by, the young man tossed the turkey onto her windshield, shattered her windshield, hit the steering wheel, and bent it forward and smashed her face. She struggled for her life in intensive care for several weeks. She survived, but after she awakened, she didn't remember anything about the incident. Doctors had to wire her jaw together, affix one eye by synthetic film, and bolt titanium plates to her cranium to save her life. Every time she looks in the mirror, she remembers the pain. Nine months after the incident, Victoria stood face to face with her offender in court. The 18-year-old Ryan Cushing was no longer the cocky, turkey-throwing kid in the Nissan. He was trembling, tearful, apologetic. He was facing 25 years in prison. For New York City, Ryan had come to symbolize a generation of kids that were out of control. So people packed the courtroom to see him get what was coming to him. The judge's sentence outraged them. Only six months behind bars, five years probation, some counseling, and some public service. The courtroom erupted. Everyone objective. Everyone objective except Victoria Ruvolo. You see, the reduced sentence was her idea. She went to the judge. She went to the DA and asked for them. To reduce the sentence. When the verdict was read. The boy walked over. To Victoria in the courtroom. And they embraced. In full view of the judge in the crowd. She held him tight. And stroked his hair. He sobbed. And she spoke. And she simply said. I forgive you. I want your life. To be the best. It can be. She was asking an interview. How could you do that? 
How could you grant such forgiveness and ask for a lighter sentence of the young man that did this to you? Here was her response. She said, I went through all the emotions that anyone would have. Why me? Why did I do? What did I do in my life that was so bad that this had to happen to me? Then I realized God is everywhere. And if he's everywhere, then he knew I was in such great physical condition. And because of that, God knew I would be able to live through this terrible ordeal. It almost sounds like Joseph talking. That's what kept me moving on to go through my rehab and get back to life. Because I was meant to save someone else's life. Now I know I did save someone else's life. Ryan's. Oh, maybe that act of forgiveness will literally change the life of the one who has harmed us. She goes on. God gave me a second chance at life. And I passed it on. If I hadn't let go of the anger, I'd be consumed by this need for revenge. Ryan's was a stupid, ridiculous act. I never condoned the act itself. I simply forgave the person who committed the act. Forgiving him helps me move on. I'm just trying to help others with my story, but I know for the rest of my life I'll be known as the turkey lady. Could have been worse. He could have thrown a ham and I'd be forever known as Miss Piggy. When you can come to a place you can laugh about it, you know the power of forgiveness. But maybe you're not there yet. Maybe the hurt's still too great. The pain's still too real. Or the offense is still too fresh. But I want to encourage you today. By the power of the living God. He can and does and will. Enable you to forgive. You bow your head and close your eyes. Father, a very difficult thing to get a hold of, a very difficult concept for us to wrap around because it's not naturally human. But it is naturally you. By your nature, by your choice by your amazing love towards us. Father, I pray right now, help us. Help us to get a hold of this. Help us to grasp this. Speak to the hearts of the hurting. Speak to the hearts of the angry. Speak to the hearts of the broken. Speak to the hearts of the bitter. Speak to the hearts of the resentful. All of us in this room that have and are and could possibly in the future deal with this. Help us now in these next few moments to make a decision of moving towards forgiveness in you. With our heads still bowed and our eyes still closed, I want to ask a simple question. How many of you right now, you're just, you're just in a difficult relationship situation? It may not be a forgiveness situation or whatever, but it's just a stressful situation relationally. You've got some issues maybe with a family member, maybe it's somebody at your work, maybe it's a friend, but man, you've got some challenges in a relationship. Maybe it's about forgiveness, I don't know. But you would say, Pastor Mark, could you just say a quick prayer for me and this relationship? Would you just raise your hand and say, Pastor Mark, that's me. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I'm going to invite everybody to stand, if you would, please. Since all of us have been here, some of us are here now. I want us just to pray one for and with the other. Can you take a hold of the hand of the person that's next to you right now? 
I know Pastor Jeremy led us in a prayer for relationships earlier. But I just want to real pray specifically for those of you that raised your hand. We're going to do it just as this group together. Because man, there's not a person in this room that doesn't need to know how to forgive. Can we believe one for the other right now in the relationships that they might be in? Father, in the name of Jesus. Man, it gets beyond us. It gets bigger than us. The stuff that we're having to deal with with people, the stuff that they're having to deal with with us. Father, I pray for all the hands that were raised and maybe hands that weren't raised of issues of relationship in marriages, between parents and children. Father, in workplaces, employers and employees, friendships. God, I just pray now in the name of Jesus that your love would just penetrate to the depths of those relationships. May there be repentance and forgiveness granted where it needs to be done in these relationships, God. Father, I pray that what the enemy is intending for evil, just as Joseph brothers did, Father, you're going to turn to good. Help us to see the greater good in all this. Help us to see you, to turn to you, to trust you, to rest in you. God, give us an overwhelming understanding once again of what it means that you forgive and have forgiven us. Overwhelm us with this amazing forgiveness that you provide so that we in turn not only would give our lives to you in glory, but would give our lives to one another. That we would grant the great gift of forgiveness, Father. Let discipline come where it needs to come. Give us wisdom and discernment, Father. Maybe some of us are having to make decisions about whether or not we can remain in a relationship that seems to be abusive. There seems to be no change. God, give us the wisdom. Give us the discernment to make that decision. Only you can help us with that, Father. Father, I believe in a God that heals relationships. Let it be done in this room. For one purpose, your praise, your glory, and your honor. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you believe God heals relationships, I want you to put your hands together and give Him praise in His house.